Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talks you, of course, uh, as our lessons go. We're going to be looking at continuing today on First um, Corinthians chapter 15. Actually, finish it up today, chapter 15. It leaves us one more chapter in this long study um, that we're going to be dealing with. This last section um, of the chapter, you see, we're starting with verse 50. Um, is it's a glimpse into what's known as in the Greek word parousia, that is the presence in the presence of the Lord. Uh, that's what the Jews were waiting for, the presence of the Messiah, as it was pro- prophesied uh, that he would come back at the end of the age to both reward those that were pious and obedient, and of course punish those that weren't. And that would be the end of the Jewish covenant. Uh, that's that was known to them, and it's, it's been lost in <laughs> it's been lost in our understanding for some long time. But it shouldn't be because it's part of the scripture. This is when the resurrection of the Jewish covenant people who had died would occur, along with the dead in Christ, also with the group, with this group that is the. The, uh, the Jews from many centuries before up to that day. Along with this group was also the catching away of the Lord's apostles who were still alive at that time. We read about that in uh, um, First Thessalonians chapter 4. Um, and they would be present with the Lord in that way. Those apostles that were still living at this time, at the event, the parousia, or the day of the Lord, it's known. We have all these different names. The scripture gives us these different names for this very same time. It's like everything culminates at this point uh, for the Jewish people. Now, you have to understand that the Bible is intended to be, it is the, it's a Jewish book. Their, their writings. Um, of course, the Messiah was revealed, being a Jewish man, and, uh, and then we know, uh, as we read through the New Testament in the book of Acts, the apostles are sent by the Lord to the Gentiles. And then they have opportunity to come into that covenant, the new covenant, with the same exact promises that everyone would have uh, in that new covenant, which is the age we live in now, the kingdom of God. The, um, we could call it the church age. The scripture starts in verse 50 with a statement that that we need to understand. What is not able to inherit the kingdom of God? Sometimes when we know the things that are not going to work, it makes it much easier for us to do the right thing or do the right work. What's to say in verse 50? I'm reading from Young's literal translation. 
typically through this lesson. And this I say, brethren, the flesh and, and, and the blood, let me start over. And this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood, the reign of God or the kingdom of God is not able to inherit, nor doth the corruption inherit the incorruption. Now that's a pretty kind of a really heavy statement, isn't it? Uh, flesh and blood, not going anywhere. Flesh and blood is for here, okay? Uh, it's not, you know, it's not as the pictures. Uh, I used to see a fellow that had a motorcycle and had a picture of him flying off of his motorcycle into the sky and uh, still had his helmet and leather coat on. And that was his idea. But you see, flesh and blood will not inherit that kingdom. That's not, that's not how it works. We're thinking of it that way. But the apostle has taught us before in this chapter. You remember all of this about the, the bodies, the resurrection body, the heavenly bodies, the spiritual bodies, and all of the different things, the, the, the seed, the seed that's planted and unless the seed dies, it can't become the plant. You know, all of that is the work of God. It's not ours. We're, we, we have it. We need to understand it. The body, this body, it's in the Greek, it's sarx. That's what the word is used, flesh and blood. Will not leave the earth. Rather, will God, God will supply a vessel, which is a better word because we don't know exactly what it's going to be like, He'll provide a vessel for our spirit to live with him time without end. That's the kingdom of God. That's our vessel, whatever it may be. I'm not a bit concerned with what the vessel's going to be. Am I going to be okay with it? Well, what do you think? Are we going to be all right with it? I think a God that has given us eternal life with him in an unimaginable glory of heaven in the kingdom, I believe our vessel is secure as far as us being um, able to use it. Now, the apostle is going to speak of a mystery the Lord has revealed to him concerning the parousia or the day of the Lord. Paul is writing this. Uh, this letter was written in about 58 A.D., but Paul also wrote another letter about seven years before this um, that is concerning the very same thing. About A.D. 51, he wrote a letter to the church in Thessalonica and uh, uh, letters to the, um, to the Corinthians. And also these things are suggested throughout the Bible by the other apostles as it goes. And I just like the way that, behold, I tell you a mystery. You know, that's, that's the words I remember. I think that's the King James Version. Um, let's look at verse 51 through 54. And Young puts it, lo, I tell you a secret. Um, I guess mystery and secret are, are compatible. Kind of like mystery better. It's, it's a little heavier, but... Um, Behold, or lo, I tell you a secret, we indeed shall not all sleep, and we all shall be changed. Let me read that one again so it's in your mind. Lo, I tell you a secret, I tell you, 
the Apostle Paul, you, the people reading this letter, we indeed shall not all sleep and we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, in the last trump, for it shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and, and we, we shall be changed. For it behooveth this corruption to put on incorruption and this mortal to put on immortality. And when this corruption may have put on incorruption and this mortal may have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the word that hath been written. The death, the death, was swallowed up to victory. Okay. The question and grammar that we have today is a point I want to make. Who is the we here in verse 51? We indeed shall not all sleep, and we shall all be changed. Well, here's the thing about the we here and the us as it goes on in our, we, us, and our. If those words are first person plural in the Greek language, and we know that from the Greek itself, from the, uh, the grammar, we have to and we cannot, unless there's a change in and the antecedent, we cannot go beyond the I, the apostle, and even the I would be singular, first person singular, but when it's we, it includes all the rest of the apostles. You see, we don't read the Bible the way that people saw it in the day that it was written. The apostles of Christ were a group of men with the mind of Christ. They spoke on his behalf. They were his ambassadors. They were his um, apostles, ambassadors, and all the words you use, it all means that they spoke in, on behalf of Christ even to the point of death. That was, their, that was their marching orders. You speak for me and to all creation, even though they will kill you for doing so. So when that's the first thing they heard about their apostleship. And they went on from there. But they were blessed, and of course they had the very mind of Christ. They spoke on his behalf through the Spirit of God. So not everyone's going to agree with my particular teaching on this passage, but I'm confident that my understanding in this does harmonize well and accurately with the rest of the Bible's teaching on the, the day of the Lord and the works of the apostles of Christ, all these things that, that are talked about as the end. Uh, and the end in the Bible, the end that we find in the Bible, we have lots of ends. We have the end of the Babylonian Empire. We have the end of the Persian Empire. We have the end of Noah's uh, day and the people in Noah's day. What we don't have any end of, there's no end to the kingdom of God. There's no end to the Christian age in that form. No end. So are we looking, today everyone's looking for the end of what? The end of the, the church age? The Lord made that promise. There's no end to this. No end. There was an end to the Jewish covenant age. We read about it. 
in the Bible. Yeah, if you want to read it for, for a fact, read Josephus, a Jewish man born 37 A.D. that grew up in Jerusalem, became a Pharisee and a scholar and all. He was at Jerusalem when it fell to the Romans and witnessed the end of Judaism as it was. How do I know that he knew that it was the end? Well, he said it was the greatest event that had ever happened. He, he went to Rome and was, and was uh, adopted by Vespasian, who was Caesar. That's why we call him Flavius Josephus now. He, ne he never lost his Judaism. He also never became a Christian. But he wrote history. He was a historian, and he writes the history of it. And, and we can take that as history. Is it a perfect writing? Well, of course it isn't. Um, there's some things that he didn't see happen. He might have got something wrong, but we don't have to rely on that. We're just looking at his historical note concerning the Jewish covenant age. Now, when I say that my, my, uh, my teachings here are uh, line up with the Scripture, I'm talking about both the Old Testament and the New, not just the New Testament. So the grammar of the we's and the ours and first-person plural in, 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 the, in the Greek and even in the English or any other language, uh, this is to be understood and cannot go beyond the speaker and the remaining apostles that were alive at the time before the parousia. That's first-person plural. Now, I've never read one scholar anywhere that can dispute that fact because there's all sorts of first-person plural. There's first-person singular, second-person plural and singular, third-person. Depends. If you read it, if you want to get a real handle on it, read John, the Gospel of John, chapter 17. In there, we've got first person, second person, and third person. All of them are included in, in that writing. And that's just, a, uh, that's just a good exercise, if you will. This, all of this, is, comes to culmination in the presence of Christ, which is what is known as the end of the covenant. This is clear because the antecedent, the noun of Paul, I, is not interrupted, is not replaced by anyone through all of these passages, and not only here, but in, uh, especially in Thessalonians, where we go for the confirmation of this. Um, that is not, uh, does not, uh, is not interrupted, so we can't depart from the idea of the uh, first person being the apostle, Paul and the remaining apostles, apostles in general. Then the you is second person plural. Of course, those, that is the people in the, the church that received the letter. That would be us if we're reading the letter. Uh, we'd be more third person because we weren't even thought of at that point. But those Christians, other than the apostles, in this passage, that's second person plural. You find that in, in uh, verse um, 50, 51. Lo, I tell you a secret. They didn't know this. They didn't know this. This was revealed to them by the apostles. Is that exciting? It's true. Something we need to understand. 
The text we must read to confirm these statements is found in um, that we read here in 1 Corinthians. Let's look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and then just a couple of verses in the next letter he wrote to them in chapter 2. <clears throat> 13 through 18. Paul writing to a different congregation about seven years before, he says, and I do not wish you to be ignorant. Right there we have the setting for the grammar, don't we? I and you. Brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, that is, those that have died, and by the way, they were very concerned with the apostles that had, been, that had died or were martyred and uh, many of their own brethren. Because they had died, they were Christians, but the Lord hadn't come yet. What's going to happen to them? This was a real concern of theirs. So he's clearing that up. Concerning those who have fallen asleep, that you may not sorrow as also the rest who have not hope. That would be those that were not Christians. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, so also God, those asleep through Christ, he will bring with him. For this to you we say in the word of the Lord. Now, that statement right there confirms that these are not the best thinking of Paul, of uh, the Jewish man that was a preacher 2,000 years ago. This is confirmed that this is the word of the Lord. I think I, I can rest on that. That we who are living, by the way, the we there is first person plural. He's speaking of the apostles here in this case. No one else is involved in this. Who do remain over to the presence of the Lord, that's the parousia or the, the uh, day of the Lord, may not precede those asleep. So you see, the dead in, in Christ, the righteous Jews, would all be raised before those that remained over to the presence of the Lord. And this is the apostles. Because the Lord himself, in a shout, in the voice of a chief messenger, most of our Bibles read archangel, and in the trump of God shall come down from heaven and the dead in Christ shall rise first, then we, yeah, <laughs> I don't have it memorized. Then we who are living, who are remaining over together with them, shall be caught away in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so always with the Lord shall we be. See, that was a comfort to those that had died, right? to those that were still living. And he says, so then comfort ye one another in these words. Well, I'm just going by the grammar alone, but some people still have the idea that, well, this is talking about when it says we, it means everybody that's a Christian. Well, it doesn't in this case. Um, the only people that we know that it means all of is those that are uh, asleep. Now, if we go, we, we go to second. Thessalonians, the next letter that was written um, just about a year later. And in the first chapter, we, we've read about the, the account of the coming of the Messiah in the first chapter. And after that was presented, 
he says this to, to the people in the church. And we ask you, now who's the we there? Is it, is it everybody that's asking? The we is exactly what it is. And we ask you, brethren, that's the people receiving the letter, in regard to the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ, that's the parousia, and of our gathering together unto him. The hour there, first person plural. See it in the Greek? Personal pronoun, first person, plural. It's genitive because it's those belonging to the Lord. Verse 2. Now, after saying that, he's saying that they've been gathered together to him. Caught up? Isn't that what it says in First Thessalonians? They were caught up to the Lord. He says that you be not quickly shaken in mind, nor be troubled, neither through spirit, neither through word, neither through letter, as though us, as the day of, the, of Christ hath arrived. So there's going to be Christian people that are left in the world alive after this event. He didn't want them to worry uh, about things that they were going to hear from other people. And believe me, um, there, were other, there were things said. I'm going to read you a couple, just a couple of passages from um, a Christian preacher. Uh, about, the date was about A.D. 110 or 112, something like that, that was written concerning this, that... Uh, Hardly anyone knows. As a matter of fact, I looked for years for something to confirm it. Finally found it. <clears throat> and then I found that other people already knew. Well, the way that is. But concerning the apostles, if this is all it's said, maybe somebody's argument might be pretty heavy against my own. But concerning the apostles, look at Matthew 19. This is Jesus speaking to the apostles. You remember when Jesus was talking to the rich young ruler and he, and he wanted to know what he could do to become uh, a follower and be uh, godly and be accepted by God. And he told him all the things and he didn't want to give up his wealth. Well, Jesus said at that point, it's very difficult for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And the apostles were shocked by this. And Peter said here finally, then Peter answered and said to him, Jesus, Lo, we did leave all and follow thee. What then shall we have? They were worried because of what had just occurred here and what Jesus said. And Jesus said to them, Verily I say to you that you, the apostles, can't go any further than that, who did follow me in the regeneration when the Son of Man may sit upon a throne of his glory shall sit you also upon 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Remember the catching away in Thessalonians of the living apostles and all the rest? Where did they go? Right to their throne or judging of Israel. Israel was judged first. The Bible says, Salvation, first to the Jew, then the, uh, then the Gentile. Judgment, 
first to the Jew, and then the Gentiles. And then in Revelation, we got another confirmation of this happening. This is what John saw in Revelation. John saw thrones. Everybody thinks there's one throne in heaven. Well, here there's thrones. And they sat upon them, and judgment was given to them, and the souls of those who had been beheaded because of the testimony of Jesus and became, and because of the word of God who did not bow before the beast nor his image and did not receive the mark upon their forehead and upon their hand, and they did live and reign with Christ a thousand years, which is a figurative of a period of time. Yeah, the thousand years. An appointed period of time. That's right. So that that's good. Well, and most of that there is what Revelation has been talking about before chapter 20. But I wanted you to see the thrones. Also in Daniel, I'll just tell you in Daniel, one of Daniel's visions of the, of the very last, of the last days of the Jews, because everything in the book of Daniel has to do with the Jewish people, your people, your people, your people, all the way through. When the vision came to him, when the angel spoke to him concerning your people, Daniel was a Jewish prince from Jerusalem that was taken into captivity to Babylon. He saw the thrones, not throne, thrones, because of the judgment. Now, I'll give you a treat. There's a, there's a book that everybody that's interested in the scripture ought to have. It's not another Bible. It's just, it's a book that the writings of what's known as the, uh, the various church, they call them church fathers. In other words, they're older, old Christians, okay? Some of these were preachers, others were, were, were other than that. But there was a man named, a preacher, um, a bishop as he was known, <clears throat> although the system had already become a bit flawed, but nonetheless, a man named Ignatius, Ignatius, and he was, had been taken where he was preaching to go to Rome to be martyred because they'd had enough of him in his preaching. Uh, and he wrote letters all the way from where he was, and I'm not sure, I forget just where that was. Uh, I believe it was in uh, Asia, Asia Minor in one of the cities, and I forget which one. But he wrote letters to all the other church uh, people that he was aware of. And this is a letter he wrote to the Manganeans, which was another city that had church. <clears throat> he said this, So as to become disciples of our, of our Jesus Christ, our soul teacher, how then can we live without him when even the prophets who were with his disciples, or we might say apostles, by the Spirit awaited him as their teacher, their Lord. He then, whom they were rightly expecting, raised them from the dead when he came. What do you suppose that might mean? Well, we find later on in, in the, ancient, the old writings of the Scriptures that all of a sudden people were awaiting again the return of Christ. Uh, under the whole Jewish concept of it. 
You see, this man knew that he had came, that there had been a resurrection. But that doesn't mean the church is gone. That doesn't mean anything other than what it means. God kept his promise to the Jewish people. That's, under, that's in the, a book called The Early Church Fathers. It's a very good book. I have one that I've read a couple times. Now I can't find it. But, and also, um, uh, uh, he wrote a letter to the uh, Sunomarans, and, and they, um, he says there, there we get a clear picture of the passion and see that the resurrection has really happened. Now there, we could say the resurrection is that, well, we know that Jesus was resurrected, right? But there was more than, uh, to it than that, because Jesus taught, if you were in him, you lived in the resurrection. These men knew the truth that I just read, but remember the tone of Revelation. The entire tone of Revelation, I read Revelation, I had it read, I studied it, and I always missed the time statements in Revelation. In the very first chapter, it says, concerning what's going to be, what's coming, what, the, what Jesus wanted John the Apostle to know and to write. For the time is at hand. What's at hand mean to you? I don't think you could find even the man on the street is never going to tell you at hand means 2,000 or 5,000 years from now. And at the end of Revelation, Jesus says, Yea, I come quickly. I didn't grab that a long time ago. I didn't understand it. But I do today. And it has, that being true and all, there's more to it yet. Um, matter of fact, Ephesians 3.20. One of the problems with teaching like this, when you bring things to an end and you show that there has been an end to something and a lot of things coming to an end, a lot of folks feel, well, then I'm left out totally from anything, right? But th that was not the, never the teaching of the apostles. Here in Paul's writing, uh, teaching and writing to the Ephesian church, he says, And to him who is able above all things to do exceedingly abundantly what we ask or think, according to the power that is working in us, to him is the glory in the assembly in Christ Jesus to all the generations of the age of the ages. Amen. Now, if you want something to do with time, you can look at that one and see that there's no end to that age. All the generations following. Nothing, just because the Jewish covenant came to an end does not mean the church came to the end. The church was known then as full grown. All things have been put under the, the feet of Jesus himself by his Father. That's what it means. We talk about this uh, quite a bit. And there's more to it than just what I've said. But as we go on here, just looking at the last verses, 55 through the end. Where, O death, thy sting? Where, O Hades, or the grave, thy victory? And the sting of the death is the sin, and the power of the sin, the law. And to God, thanks to him who is giving us 
the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So that, my brethren, beloved, become ye steadfast, unmovable, abounding in the work of the Lord at all times, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. The assembly, the church, is it under the curse of death or is it alive in Christ, in the victory of Christ? That's the question we need to ask ourselves. Because we're going to mope around and worry about the end, which is our own lives. I guess we forgot what Jesus said about those that believe in him. They will never die. John chapter 11, read it, and then read it again, and then read it again. And remember, if you're in Christ, you never die. And he's talking about the life. The life, not, not the breath in this tent. The life that you are in the sight of God. The spirit of you. So there's two ways. To live under the curse of death or be alive in the victory of Christ. The curse of the death has been removed according to 1 Corinthians 15, 25, and 26. You see right there, the last enemy to be put under the feet of Christ is what? The last enemy is done away, death. Death is done away, so is the fear of death. Our bodies die, but we know that that's not the end. If it was, if that's what we absolutely knew, nobody would worry about it. People do worry about it. They worry about what comes next. And all of this was completed for them by A.D. 70. But it continues in the kingdom of God. So how do we live in the victory we have in Christ? We need to make that decision for ourselves. What, how are we going to live? What's going to be our mindset? Is it going to be concerns about everything, including us keeling over? Is that all there is? Or are we going to really realize the victory? Because as far as I know, Christians have a 100% death rate. No one said otherwise. And, and, you know, there's some that come pretty close to saying it, but no, no, we know that that's true. Those outside of Christ may have fear of death. Outside of Christ, Jesus didn't say, no one dies. He said, all that believe in me, all that are in me, never die. So those outside may have the fear of death, and they probably should. But the body of Christ lives in the resurrection, in the light, in the way of the Lord, as it says in John 11 and John 6. The question today, after all that I have been through, and I know it's been a little tedious, is this. Where do you live? Where do you live personally? Are you living in that, that fear, or are you living in the victory? How do we know? Well, when we run across things in this world, in this life, that, that are devastating, if you're living in the victory, you always have a different 
a different outlook about tragedy um, because it's necessary. And that brings us, I want you to think about that. Um, what I've said about the resurrection and, and the, the Prusia, the end of the Jewish age, that's all very interesting. That's all very, very accurate in my mind. But think about the real idea of being in Christ or being out of Christ. So right now we're going to have our song of invitation. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.